You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. All right, good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Day 59 and 60? Yeah. We are so close to only being 300 days away from finishing. I know. It's it's going fast. We are uh, in the, I think, exciting book of Leviticus. Very exciting book of Leviticus. When you push through all the jokes about it and uh, and push through the idea that it's boring, you realize God is very serious and very clear about what he wants his priests to be doing. Because, I mean, this is the matter. Like, Mm -hmm. this is the big deal. The big deal is God wants to be with his people. He's found a way to break through sin and meet with his people and prepare them for that meeting. And so it's the, now that the tabernacle is built, the most important thing is for the priest to rightly prepare the people to meet with their God, right? Yeah, and be in community with him. And so it's funny to me all my life, this book has seemed boring or not um, relevant to my life because it is the most relevant thing. And in fact, all of our understanding <laughs> of Jesus goes back to this. Like Jesus, the high priest, yeah. he's the sacrifice. And yet... It, well, I want. It's interesting. I mean, the entire context of the Gospels is are it's taking framed. place in a in with people who only care about the first five books right. of the Old Testament. They've made their whole lives around what God has to say. And it's just funny because, like, con- like we now ask ourselves, like, I wonder what God wants for me or what God is would say. Yeah. And the moment we start to read. Words of God, which are most in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we immediately are like, "Oh, I don't like this. I'm gonna go somewhere right. else." I don't really want to hear what you have to say. God. Oh, never mind. I I decided. God, where are you? And he points us to Leviticus, and we're like, oh, "Are you done talking yet?" <laughs> uh, it was a rhetorical question, God. I love our our voices for these imaginary, um, hard-hearted people, but. Uh, yeah, it is fascinating. So as I'm like praying and going through this, it is a whole. It's opening up a whole new appreciation for Christ, and and it's also making me understand that when Jesus says, "I've come to fulfill the law," yeah, he's not. Is, he's not this coming. Is it. Yeah, he's not coming to say, "Oh, I'm going to um, like follow the directions to the board game perfectly." He's like the. You guys don't even understand the law. Like the will of God is Mm -hmm. that your sins might be covered so that you can be God's people and he can be with you. That's it. And so he's doing, he's fulfilling it. It's not just I'm obeying the law and therefore setting you free. No, he he is obeying, like he's Mm -hmm. becoming the sacrifice. Anyway, it's pretty amazing. And so... um, what what chapters are we on in Leviticus? Oh yeah, so we're doing. Before I get yeah, today we're doing Leviticus chapter four uh, through chapter seven, verse ten. So we're still learning about all the uh, offerings. Yeah, the different kind and, of. Uh, it was there's a so today there's a sin offering, and the sin offering is for unintentional unintentional sins of the priests the whole congregation, the leader, and then the common people. And they all vary just a little bit. But I think the idea of unintentional sin is kind of brilliant. Mm-hmm. Like, the Lord knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he knows. Like, it's very clear that it's like, just by mistake, if you, you did something, you didn't even realize you did it. But then when you realize later, or someone brings it to your attention later, right. or you're convicted, or or you realize like, oh, there's some plague going through our congregation, 
oh, something must be wrong. And we realize, oh, it was because we did this and we didn't realize that was sinful. When you realize this is what you do. When you realize, yeah. I like that because I think the idea we have naturally is sin is when we made a choice to disobey. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, no, sin is when you recognize you've missed the mark, Mm -hmm. even though you meant good. Right. And it didn't make me realize, too, I think I want to do it more often, but in a worship service. So when you're coming to God, meeting him where he says he's going to be, there is this kind of natural um, confession and absolution. Yeah. So... You know, in the, the liturgy of the Lutheran church, there's confession where everyone kind of says, For, uh, forgive us for thought, word, and deed, things we know we've done and things, we, uh, the things done. we've done and uh, things we've un- not done. Yeah, things we haven't done, the ways we've loved you and not loved you, forgive us. And then we are assured that this is where the faith comes in. We, by faith, for the sake of Christ, I forgive you all your sins. And uh, I can see where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Because there's things unintentional that, uh, when they're brought to your mind, need to be dealt with. And so for the priest, it was what? A bull? Yeah. And then for the whole congregation, it was a bull. And it's and uh, remember, these are all coming from their own flocks, right? Mm-hmm. So like when you recognize this, you you make it right, and then you go get a bull. I don't know where the priest would get a bull. Yeah, I was just thinking about that, because they weren't allowed to keep flocks, I'm pretty sure. So... I don't know. I'm sure it explains it later on because this is like the initial like because yeah. they're they're grouping them. It's not necessarily the exact order that they're they're right. always grouped by theme. Um, but yeah, the thing that was hitting me is mm-hmm. representational. Yeah, sin. The elders lay the hands on the head for the sins of the congregation. Yeah, like that you mean? Well, that and if the priest sinned, right? His sin was on the whole. It was on right. the whole community. Your priest matters. Yeah. Like if your priest so if the is, priest is not right with God, the whole community is not right with God. Right. Amazing. Like, yeah. that's something we don't want to think about and something in our culture we kind of distance ourselves from. But it's right. very clear, like, if the congregation sins, the elders represent you. Yeah. If a leader sins, his everyone underneath him is affected by his sin. And this, again... It's why the priesthood of Jesus is so important. Mm -hmm. And then even the priesthood of all believers. So that, uh, I mean, you're under. So like, as we'll read through the story, the priests are, when they're corrupt, when the king is corrupt, the leaders are corrupt, Mm -hmm. the whole nation is corrupt. They pay for it. Even though there's pockets of people who probably still believe, in our individual culture, we think that's that's absurd. Like, no. But Uh, uh, it... And then, uh, just before we run and run run off from this, uh, there is a the way the way they're doing it, like they take blood from the sacrifice. Yeah. And so they're sacrificing in the outer court with, on the bronze altar. That's where the sacrifice and the burning is going on. And then in this, though, the priest takes some of the blood and walks into the tabernacle, into the holy place, not the most holy, but he goes into the holy place, which is lit up by the candles, and goes up to the veil. Yeah. And he sprinkles the blood in front of the veil seven times. And the veil is keeping the priests out of the most holy place where God resides. So is that getting crusted over with blood over the years? Probably. Wow. And so he's covering the divide between us and God with blood. And that's something they just constantly have to do until Jesus 
where his blood being spilt finally tears the veil and tears the divide between us and God. That carried all the sins mm-hmm. back to... Yes. Whatever, however old the curtain was. Yeah. Also, I think of the robes of Christ kind of drenched in blood. Yeah. So the veil is drenched in blood, the yeah. robes of Christ. Yeah, oh, wow. Okay, yeah, so that was just an interesting... Like, well, I was also thinking, too, like, when we bring our sin, imagine bringing your sin, and then just imagine... Like in confession, you're slid, you're finding its carotid artery, carotid. I don't know how to say it. That's okay. The major artery. Yeah. Sure. You're slitting its throat, and allowing then Jesus to take the blood of that sin and cover you. Mm-hmm. Or He's doing that now. But yeah. we still bring our sacrifices and our offerings to God, and ask for forgiveness, and mm-hmm. then we are assured that it's covered. So then, okay, that's very good. Um, in chapter five, jury, they have like, I put like jury duty failure. Yeah. Touching unclean things, human mm-hmm. uncleanness, and a careless oath would all be examples of needing a guilt offering. Mm-hmm. You know, so like a guilt offering is a lamb or a goat. Um, again, God's covering all of our little workarounds for sin. Like, I didn't know. And I didn't do anything. You know, it's like, no, I know your hearts. Mm-hmm. But again, it's so interesting to touch an unclean thing or to be touched how touch transfers holiness or uncleanliness, yeah. cleanliness. And then you think about all that Mark is, we're reading through Mark, and it's like everyone wanted Jesus to touch them. Yeah. And it's starting to... Stuff. And when Jesus touches, like when Jesus touched the blind and, or the deaf guy yeah. and his ears and his tongue, he's making his ears and his tongue holy. I know. It's so amazing. And so Jesus touches us. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit touches us and fills our hearts and anoints us. Anyway, um... Leviticus, the rest of 5 through 7.10 is where my mind's going now. So you have more uh, guilt offerings where you break, when you break faith and un- unintentional sins before God. And then there's unintentional sins or deliberate sins against men. Mm-hmm. I just remember being impressed. I think it's verse 7. I wrote down verse 17. If anyone sins doing any of these things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear it his iniquity. Mm-hmm. And so, and this is about against people too, right? Right. right. Yeah. And I like the idea too, it gets stated that if you sinned against God's people, it's also a sin against God. So you're comp- you have to compensate the person you s- sinned against and then you have to give God his compensation right. as well because you've hurt his image, you've stolen from his people and now there's compensation to be made be- to him. Right. Cool. And then um, it goes into the, what the priests are wearing. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you about the setup of these offerings. Did you already, you just explained that a little bit though, didn't you, about the veil. So when people come into the, the tent of meeting, is that, that's the name for the whole uh, The tent place. of meeting, it, it's kind of weird. It's usually for the tabernacle. Right. Um, is the tent of meeting somewhere else? There, well, there was a tent of meeting that Moses used before the tabernacle, but then they, tabernacle means like where God dwells, so that's where they would meet God now. So it kind of gets redesignated as oh, the tabernacle is the tent of meeting now. Okay. So they are going. So when they say that, they're they're saying the tabernacle, but there's like an outer court. There's like an outer rim of cloth right. set up that they would have to walk in. And I was like, the entrance was at the east. So they'd walk in from the east. And then there's a huge bronze, bronze altar. altar. But, and it's like, it has like a, like a, they'd call it 
a wheelchair ramp. Yeah, there's a ramp. It goes all the way up, so it's a big deal. Yeah. And then there's the brass, like, basin for washing mm-hmm. and things like that. And then there's the Holy of Holies. Well, then you go into the tabernacle. You're not in the tabernacle. Okay. You're in the outer court. Okay. You're in the courtyard. And then you go into the tabernacle, and in the tabernacle, there's the incense altar, there's the bread of presence, and there's the lampstand. Okay. Um, and then... In the Holy of Holies, it's a dark room. Are, are people going into that no, the next level? Only the priests go into that's the right. Holy So that's room. like the mountain where the, mm-hmm. the kind of elders went up to a certain level, yeah. and then Moses went up to the top, Yeah, you only the courtyards go, at the base. Yeah, you only, okay. you only go, the priests were the only ones who would go into the Holy, and then there was the Holy of Holies, which is where the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant was. And that was a dark room, and that was the only thing in the Holy of Holies. Okay. Um, I just need a refresher every so often. Um, okay. And so then the the priests are offering, what, sin offerings? And they're eating. If, if they offer up a burnt offering, mm-hmm. the priests get some of the food from that. But yes. then they all share the grain offerings. And so in this way, the priests are taken care of and are fed because they're not allowed to have land. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So six and seven are kind of going at the same offerings, breaking down the same offerings that we just read about, but from the priest perspective, like this is the duties of what the priest is supposed to do, and this is what he gets. And so we have in the sin and guilt offerings, they get the meat. Um, in the the bread offerings, the grain offerings, they share it for everyone, okay. and then um, among the priests, and then. Uh, on the burnt offerings, the priests get the hide. They get the hide of it so Sweet. for clothing and tents and stuff. And then the other idea was there's a lot of these offerings happening. So this is like a line at Disney. If there's 2 million people, you figure every day there's, there's always like maybe 100 people yeah, probably, yeah. bringing uh, some kind of animal to the temple to deal with their sin. Mm-hmm. So you have a line of priests that take one after the other, mm-hmm. I imagine. So... Some guys are doing grain. Some guys are doing bulls or rams or, or turtle doves. I mean, that was the other cool thing, that God set it up to be financially kind of approachable so that if you can't afford... You bring what you can afford. Yeah, you bring the birds. Or if you can't afford a bird, you bring grain even, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool flour. So Yeah, and if you can't afford the oil, you just don't put it in. There's like no reason for anyone to not come to the Lord. Mm-hmm. To be cleansed, forgiven, mm-hmm. and then be in his presence. Like the presence of God is available for all. And I'm just thinking the issue for humans is we want to be in the presence of the Lord. We just are kind of upset that he makes us wash our hands. We're like, yes. well, if I have to wash my hands, forget it. Yes. I'm not going to meet with you. It's not that important to me, which is a huge travesty. And uh, wow. All right. Leviticus. What is tabernacle? You know what I mean? It's just a funny word. What's a tabber and what's a knackle? I'm joking. <laughs> I'm doing observational humor. What's the deal with knackles? Okay. He's a real knackle dragger. All right. Um, well, some things we just don't have answers for. Yes. But let's move on to, uh, that's Leviticus. Always exciting. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. What verses? Uh, yeah, so we're doing Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 52. So we're coming off of 
Jesus like trying to deal with his disciples and Mark is really hitting hard that the disciples had no idea what was happening and not understanding anything Jesus was saying and potentially not wanting to understand what he was saying. And so he's trying to flip their minds, reorient their minds on how his kingdom is working because they're thinking very politically because I think it's hard for us to wrap our minds around because we have such an idea of there's a separation of church and state right? Um, in our culture. But in this culture, there was no separation. Like, the political powers got their power from divine power. So, like, divine authority. And so there was, a, it was all mixed. So Jesus and John, like John the Baptist saying, the kingdom of God is at hand, is a political statement as much as it is a spiritual statement. And so as he's saying this stuff, the disciples are thinking, oh, he's going to build a physical government. We're going to be a physical power. We have the people. I want to be in charge. And so Jesus is having to flip it on them. Well, I just, it just kicked up a notch in my brain. Yes. The subversiveness mm-hmm. of saying, bring a child to me. Mm-hmm. So he did that in chapter 9. He's, he's doing it again at the beginning of our reading today where he says, bring a child to me. You're used to Caesars and even pharaohs who are sons of gods. Yes. And they consider themselves gods. And so they are the power. And so, you know what? I never really realized, maybe they're starting to understand you are like Caesar. You're kind of like that. You can provide food for your people. You can provide protection. You can heal. You talk like this. Cool. And so they're wanting part of that power. I want to be at the right hand. I want to be here. But Jesus is so subversive. He says, look, this child grabs a child walking by is greater than Caesar. Yes. And that's a threat to Caesar. You can't call, you're not allowed to call anybody greater. And it's confusing for his disciples who are childlike saying, wait, why? They're kind of missing it. Mm -hmm. See, like we look back and we're like, oh, we just still don't even understand it because we fight with all our might. We're the, the scariest thing that could ever be uttered to us is that you are immature mm-hmm. and you're like a child. Mm-hmm. Still in our souls because we want to be so independent and strong. But he says the greatest in the kingdom of God is a child. Yeah. Which is subversive and uh, mixing everything up and they don't get it. Yeah, so we have like in 13 we have... People are trying to bring their children for Jesus to bless, and yeah. the, the disciples are still like, "No, no, no, no! Like we're <laughs> important. Stop! Stop! He Leave them, them alone!" And then, and then Jesus is like, "What is happening? What are you doing? No, let the children come. You can't get into my kingdom if you're not like them." Right. Which and, is confusing. And whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Mm-hmm. And then he laid hand. Jesus touched them, blesses them. So like the idea is that I mean he's he's transferring the, his blessing onto these children. I know it's pretty which, cool. Which in light of Leviticus, you're transferring the sin onto an animal. It's really happening. Yeah, or the holiness of and the, the transferring yeah. the holiness of the ark. Like yeah. you're eating this bread that's blessed. Now you're blessed. The I mean Leviticus straight up says if this thing touches you, you'll be blessed. Yeah. And now you have Jesus blessing children. So children really are um, blessed. It's not just a nice like oh. We believe in children. Mm-hmm. And then he gives, uh, then a, a great thing happens that the interaction with the rich man, who, if you put it in its context, is unable to come to God as a child. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Let's hear it. So I've been, I've been doing some reading Uh-oh. and some things 
how are starting to make sense about this one. Reading is power. I know. Um, so I'm just realizing we know so little about anything that's happening in the actual, like we don't culture. understand the culture. Right. No. And so at, at this point in time, um, what the, city do you imagine the Bible taking place in? New York, <laughs> Orlando, <laughs> like everything's happening around Lake, Lake Eola. Right. So at, at this point in time, the, the, um, everyone's really concerned with purity and, and cleanliness, ceremonial cleanli- cleanliness, like in the second temple period, because they were all like super... So second temple is when they had... The first temple was destroyed. destroyed yeah. The second one is rebuilt at the end of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and so at the end of the Old Testament, they're all connecting with, oh my gosh, the first one was destroyed because we didn't take the things of God. We didn't take Leviticus seriously. Right. We're going to take it seriously this time. Yeah, we are. And so they went above and beyond. Like As the culture grew over the last several 400 years, they took it seriously. Mm-hmm. And they were very, very like um, careful about being ceremonial, ceremonially clean, regardless of whether or not they were going to the temple. And so um, there's this idea like among the rabbis that they would say purity broke out among the Jews. Wow. And so uh, they were very concerned about like washing and all this stuff. And okay. but they're, they went over and above what the law actually actually required. And so they would have all these baths installed in their homes and have all these special jars and blah blah blah. But it was really only the rich people that could afford to go all the way. Okay. So the rich people were using their money uh, so to really follow the law as far as they could. So rich people are more holy. Yes. So when he approaches Jesus and says, good teacher. He's sincerely coming to him going, what I've more used, I've I do? used my wealth to follow uh. the law. I've done all the things. I've installed all the baths. I'm always ceremonially clean. I'm trying to do it as much as I can. I've used my wealth to do this. And so he's looking for just, you know, a little validation. Yeah. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, you know, why do you call me good? There's no one good except God alone. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the commandments. So he lists the second table, which is our relationship to humans, right? So like don't murder, don't commit adultery, that kind of stuff. And he's very proud in all of his efforts and says, I've done this. Mm-hmm. Which... It's funny, too, in, um, in the light of unintentional sins. Mm-hmm. So maybe intentionally he's tried to do this, but obviously right. he hasn't perfectly honored his parents or loved his neighbor. But um, Jesus looks at him and loved him. I know. Jesus loves the fact that he's trying, I think. It's I like, think so. Oh, I love you, but this is going to be hard. You're you know, right. it's like when... I, I do feel like when one of my children comes to me with an assignment for school and they're mm-hmm. like, I've done everything right. I think I'm done. Look, I've done it all right. I deserve now to hear that it's good. And then you read it and you're like, you obviously don't know how to write a paragraph. <laughs> Have they taught you how to write a, a five-sentence paragraph? <laughs> like, what's your thesis? I don't need a thesis. I don't, oh. And you kind of sigh like, okay, this is going to be rough. I know you're <laughs> glad to be done, but it's not good. Yeah, And... So Jesus says that, and then he says, here's the deal. You need to sell everything and follow me. Yes. What? But all these things validate me and verify me, and they're the only shot I have at being pure. Yeah, that's what I'm realizing, because I've always took 
took this as his wealth. Like he's assuming, and everyone else in in this conversation, like the disciples around him, they're all going. He's the only one that's got a shot, right? Because he has the money to follow the law. Well, and, yeah. and God and Jesus is very clearly going. Oh yeah, that's not going to save you. No. If anything, that's not enough. If anything, it's going to condemn you because his disciples say, "Well, if that guy who's done everything right, I mean, Jesus is exposing his idol, right? His idolatry, right?" And but they're saying if that guy doesn't have it, who can? Right. And this is where uh, another time Jesus says, "With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God." And then Peter's starting to go, "Well, okay, we've left a lot of things. Are we good?" Mm-hmm. And Jesus is kind. Yes. And says, "Yeah, you're good. Not because you've left a lot of things, but because you confess me as the Christ. Because you're with me. You're with me." And uh, so we've talked before about, uh, maybe it was in Matthew, like, man, wouldn't you, knowing what we know now, sell everything? I would sell everything to Mm -hmm. hang out with Jesus Christ on earth for the next three Mm -hmm. years. Even knowing the whole story, knowing it's going to end kind of tragically, I would do it. I'm all in. Yes. I'll see you guys in four years. Yes. Uh, Have fun with the house. Here's my motorcycle. I'm going to hang out with Jesus. Right. And, uh, And so Peter, though, gets kind of the fruit of that where Jesus says, look, Everything you've left or you've lost, you're going to receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. With persecutions, you've like lost it. But in the age to come, the eternal life, you'll receive it all back a hundredfold. And again, he says, those who are last will be first. It's like his greatest riddle. Like, yeah. It's the easiest thing to understand, right? Like you're in the front of the line, you're going to be in the back of the line. But it's like this riddle that it's so like what does he mean How do I well mean? he means what he means do you like being comfortable now yeah but can i still be comfortable that well no you'll be last but what does that mean you're trying to figure it out like <laughs> like the rich man like i'm trying to figure out like can i just give up this much or that much like what's the minimum amount to follow you yeah that one hurts but uh, at the end of it it's by grace through faith we are saved and so we come to him as children. This man is unable to put himself in a childlike position. Yeah, and give up. Because, he again, he's looking into his wealth to save him. He has all the answers. He's done everything right. He just needs God to say, good job. Yeah. You're A+. Plus. And, and, God, Jesus, and Jesus is literally telling him, walk away from everything you thought was going to yeah. save you and it's follow me. Jesus loves I him. will save you. Jesus loves him too much to yeah. say, okay, cool. He's like, no, man, I like you. But I got to tell you, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, right after that scene, it's the third time Jesus foretells his death. And this one's a little different. Yeah. It's a big shift. Okay, we're in chapter 10 of Mark. And for the first time, I think for the first time, I don't know, this well, is official, but Jesus is walking like on the main road towards Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. He's not on a boat. Going away from people, he's not trying to escape to a quiet place. Now he's starting this slow, steady, confrontational walk. He's to walking death. openly, even in front of the disciples, like in front of their protective. Yeah. Like he's like walking out in front of them, like rushing yeah. towards. And like it says, they were shocked and amazed. Yeah. And it's because they are, they're kind of nervous. They're realizing at this point Jesus has made some waves and has been saying very political things, and he thought he was going to stay in Galilee. 
But now they're walking into Jerusalem where the religious leaders are more intense, where Pilate is in control, and it's near Passover, which is a highly politically charged event. And they're like, oh, no. Right. And Jesus says the one thing they tried to forget the first two times. <laughs> he says, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. Yes. Right? It has to be fulfilled. These are the yeah. guys who offer up the sacrifices. Yes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after these days, he will rise. So there's like a nice resurrection at the end of it, but it's so shocking. And again, like Mark focuses on amazement and fear. Yeah. Like, what? Huh? Amazing. I'm scared now. And so um, they hear this, and, you know, their response is... Um, which one of us can be the first one in command? So can James and my brother John here, can we sit on the right and left of your throne? That'd be when, cool. When you take uh, office, because again... Son of God to them. I think it's good to remember the Son of God is not necessarily a divine person in the way we think. It's a it's like Caesar. It's a military. Yeah, so this is like person. legitimately Pharaoh. Right before Jesus was born, uh, Caesar Augustus, the adopted son of Julius Caesar, like they deify Julius Caesar as a god, and Augustus takes the title Son of God. And then later takes the title Father of the Country. Wow. And so he's taking on a religious political name. And so... That's why Jesus is Lord in like Corinthians mm -hmm. is a subversive uh, rebellion. Yes. And so saying he's the son of God is just equating him to Caesar. Right. Like we're taking it as, oh, he's literally the son of God. They're getting that he's the literal son of God. But... Possibly not, because Caesar's also called the son of God. Which is why at the founding of our country, I think, they tried to separate church and state so that they would separate people abusing religious power, Mm -hmm. which kind of seemed like a good idea after years and years of leaders saying they speak with authority from God. Yes. It confuses the matter. Yes. But now it feels much different. Like, separation of church and state feels different, and so it clouds the way we even look at this. Right. Because we don't really see politics and religion having anything to do with one another. Right. And so it doesn't even make sense. Why was Jesus even scary to the political leaders? He's just healing people. If anything, he's helping the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. They should be thanking him. Mm-hmm. But it's because it's completely subversive. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And so they, they're thinking, that's what James and John are thinking. Yeah. This kind of full picture of everything. Right. And so Jesus has mercy. He doesn't rebuke him or anything. He just says, ugh. You guys, you can't handle my you can't handle my baptism. You know, like I'm going to drink the cup that I drink. You can't drink it. The cup of wrath. Like full wrath of God, full mm-hmm. sacrificial death. And I'm going to be baptized. He doesn't say this, but this is what we think it means. Like you can't handle my baptism because it's going to be in blood this time around. And um and they said, "We're able because they're sweet children." No, I don't think so. And then, but then Jesus does say, "Look, you will, you will partake of some of my baptism. You'll, you know, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant. That's uh, God knows that. Mm-hmm. I can't do that for you." And then the ten here, and they're mad again. So Jesus has to call a house meeting. Mm-hmm. House meeting, everybody. I know you heard about James and John now, and Peter probably organized this one. 
Like, what? I thought, ugh, house meeting, Jesus. We need to have one. These guys think they're the best. And that's where um, Jesus, again, reiterates, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And he says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mm-hmm. It is so clear, but so hard for my mind even to grasp. I'm still trying to figure out how I can maintain my comfort level and be first in the next life, too. Like, I want to be first here and first there. Right. And Jesus says, no, I came to serve. And uh, someone was saying, you know, we call it, people call it karma, but there is a deep belief that if you do good things, good things will kind of come back to you. That's just deeply embedded mm-hmm. in our culture and our minds. We think it's true. Yet the Bible repeatedly gives example after example of, no, you do good things and you will be crucified for them. <laughs> yes. Now, God watches out for you. You know, I mean, yeah. I think we confuse every good thing is from God. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I feel blessed and I pray to God for protection and bless. I feel like he hears me and he protects me and he provides for me. But it's not because I've been good or mm-hmm. I deserved it. It's because mm-hmm. I've asked him. And so people who ask him for things, he can do. Right. And he's not going to force himself on people who don't ask. But I just think it's funny. Jesus is breaking that down. Like, you guys, you deserve. In every other system, you would be number two and number three in charge. But in this system, you're just going to serve people. And then he proves it. Yeah, so he's he like, yeah. he's walking, he's down the main road. Part of that road is through Jericho. Uh, he passes through Jericho. A city that should never have been resurrected, right? Yeah. Anyway, go on. Yeah, I, yeah we might come back to that on another gospel yeah. uh, about Jericho. But um, in Mark, he's just moving right on. He just goes right through. And on his way out, uh, there's a blind man who we get to actually know, um, it's not really his name, it's his surname, uh, Bartimaeus, which is the son of Timaeus. Um, He is calling out, uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. (laughs) And again, the disciples and his followers are like, shut up, man. Be quiet. Be quiet. And also, I'm realizing another reason for why they're probably telling yeah, him to they're be quiet. freaked out yeah they're freaked out and jericho was one of the capitals i think that's i'm trying to remember and i don't remember i'm pretty sure it's pilot because i'm pretty sure this is the area but i'm pretty sure pilot was um like he lived in jericho well you have to yes you have to connect to they're amazed that he's walking to the main city yeah. they've been kind of stealth and now Jesus is being more confrontational. Yeah. And then you have a blind guy going, the son of David, like the son of God. Yeah. Like announcing him like a crier. Yeah. And they're, so they're saying, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Be quiet, and, be quiet, be quiet. And they were saying that to children. And now they're saying it to, which ironically, these are the guys who are going to be heralding Christ after his resurrection. Yes. But before his resurrection, they're like, be quiet, shut up, you guys, shut up. And Jesus is always saying, stop. Well, what's interesting too, though, and, and you also think about it, is up to this point, Jesus has been telling those people to be quiet. Right. You're right. He's been saying, don't tell anybody. So don't tell anyone. So they are trying to be like him, but they're not recognizing the shift. Yeah. So before, Jesus is like, I don't want to, like... The poor disciples. I don't want them to know too early about what's going on here. They're always face-palming but, themselves. But now I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready now. I'm in control. Like, I know what I'm doing. Which, a and, side note, it's not a... Uh, 
it's a relation. It's such a relationship. Yeah. It's frustrating for those of us who are just looking for the pattern. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. I'll keep quiet about it. Yeah. I'm good, aren't I, Lord? No, actually, it's time now to let people scream mm-hmm. my name. What? <laughs> well, how can I win? <laughs> Who's the best? And which, so, yeah, is this kind of a sign of, of uh, insecurity too? Like, which one of us is the best, Lord? Right. Well, right now, not you. <laughs> All right, sorry, I kept interrupting. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm learning to. Yeah, no, um, it's so great because like it's just so much more layered than we think, yeah. and we're, and so again, he's we have this blind guy. He's calling out a very political statement. Yes, an anti-Roman statement. Son of David, who's our of real a, king? Our real king is yeah, David. You know, outside of a um, city that is like the capital for Roman authority, it, it's pretty scary, yeah. and so. So then Jesus actually stops on his march to the cross and he takes a moment to heal and minister. And I love the question. So yeah, he's never too busy to hear a child. On his way Mm -hmm. even to the cross, he stops. And then Jesus asks the question that uh, I feel like I have to ask myself a lot in prayer. Yes. What do you want me to do for you? It's a real question. Yes. Because if I change your life right now, you have to deal with the consequences of change. Like, you were sitting there begging. You had a cloak that would catch the alms, mm-hmm. you know? You threw that cloak. You had so much faith. You ran to me, and you're blind. You might not even know where all your mm-hmm. your money and everything that was on that cloak are now. Yes. But you believed. But what do you actually want? And this guy had the courage and knowing, like, my whole life will change. I don't know what I'll do for a living after I receive my sight. I don't know how things will change, but I know I want to see. And Jesus says, Go. Um, your faith has made you well. And yeah. He heals him. And that's what we hear. That's all we hear about Bar- sweet Bartimaeus. I'm imagining, and it says he, fo- he followed him on the way. So I'm imagining the fact that we even know his name or Peter remembers his name in the retelling of this, right. that he probably stuck around. Yeah. He and probably he, was like a known Maybe he became follower. A, a great evangelist. You yeah. Know? I was blind and now I see. And it's I because mean, the son of David, Jesus is God. Who knows? I, yeah. But um, pretty great. It is pretty great. The thing I love uh, at the end of all this is our position as children that we can cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. And God's never too busy to stop, ask you what it is you want, for you to be honest and trust him. And he will be healing you somewhere or the other. You know? Yeah. I'm caring for you. It's pretty great. Thanks, Lord. Let's look at uh, a psalm today. Yeah. Psalm 27. Yes. We'll do the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Beautiful psalm. Psalm 27, verse 7 through verse 14. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, I do seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Boom. 
You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll see you next time.